Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, Chris Evans here. Welcome to the latest instalment of the Best of the Breakfast Show with Sky from Virgin Radio. This is our podcast. The Foo Fighters are on the way with their exceedingly friendly frontman, the nicest man in rock and roll, Dave Grohl, gets us rocking with the story behind the band's 10th studio album, Medicine at Midnight, out now. The fantastically funny Alan Carr gets us all aboard with his terrific new podcast, his travel podcast, Life's a Beach. The always brilliant Ramesh Ranganathan tells tales from the third series of the hilarious Sky One show, Robin Ramesh versus and his BAFTA-nominated topical comedy show, The Ranganation, and former Navy SEAL. Rich Davini shares tips and tricks from his incredible new book, The Attributes, all this week. Can't believe all this was this week. Can't believe it. Can't believe it. All of that and plenty more still to come. Now, Dapper Dave, who's first, please? Our next guest is the audio equivalent of sand in between your toes and sunshine beating down on your face. Episode one of his new Travel Tales podcast, Life's a Beach, is out now. And here to tell us more is a man that will have absolutely no problem being compared to Judith Chalmers. It's the spectacular Alan Carr. All right, Alan. (laughs) We've been playing clips from your new podcast all morning. It's absolutely brilliant, Al. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, yeah, I've been bored like everyone else, and I just thought, let's let's have a bit of escapism. Yeah, it's a very good idea. And, you know, when I saw the title Life's a Beach, I thought, is that a play on Life's a Beach? Is it about life, what it's about? But it's actually about travel, isn't it? You've, you've come up with a travel podcast. Congratulations. Thank you, my love. <laughs> Listen, it's like, I just think, you know, when Chatty Man ended, I love to talk. And I love to chat. And like everyone, I've been bored out the head with all this pandemic. So I uh, rang up some uh, some of my friends and said, would you mind talking about the times when we could go away? And I don't want people to think it's like a full of like rich posh rah-rahs talking about, oh, don't you hate it when your mega yacht breaks down on the, you know, in Saint-Tropez. It's about... It's about your earliest holiday memories. I mean, the great, I, I interviewed uh, Robbie Williams, uh, who's come up in a few weeks, and his stories about, you know, his dad being um, you're one of those holiday entertainers, you know, on campsites yeah. up and down. It's so interesting, him, you know, his stories about that. So it's really accessible and inclusive. It's a great podcast, and it kicks off. I mean, you got you have Romesh, who's, you know, he is, he is guest gold on the first show. And also, he's won a BAFTA uh, for his travel shows. He's really funny. He's really interesting. Um, you get on. You've been away together. You talk about um, cliff diving or cliff bombing in Ibiza. You've got all that going on, throwing tomatoes at each other at uh, La Tomartino, which I've just... Or Tomartina. Can I tell you about that? La yeah. Tomartina. People go, oh, amazing. You know, it's the most disgusting thing ever. They throw mouldy tomatoes on you. <laughs> I have to show. But they, you know, when you watch it on the telly, they're throwing it, but they're picking tomato out the gutter and throwing it in your face. It's disgusting, Chris. <laughs> I know, because I've heard the podcast. Um, what I love about it, Al, is, is your... 
I know on Chatty, man, you did chat a lot, but you asked some fantastic questions here of Ramesh. Um, and also, your podcast, it's got, it's got real production values to it because th- there's there's... I don't want to give it away for, for people who haven't heard it, but it's got some lovely twists on it um, because you are the captain of a plane at one point, then you're the, the chief steward. That's all good news. But of course, the podcast opens up before you even talk to Ramesh and Ramesh is there. Uh, Joyce gets a mention, you dog. Paul gets a mention. you got it all going on. Keep it in the family. <laughs> Do you know what we've got in the family now, Chris? Tell me. Tell, you? tell me, tell me. My next-door neighbours had all her um, chickens killed by a fox, apart from one, <laughs> and the chickens traumatised. So we've actually got the chicken in our house as well. Wow. You, got it. you have got it all going on, haven't you? I have. I have. But we can't put it back in the hutch because it's traumatised. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's got a dazed look on its face. Yeah, you know? and it's not a hutch. It's a coop. Well, it's that front room, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so Ramesh used to um, work in the uh, was it the Ray Ban shop or the sunglasses hut at uh, Heathrow Airport? Sunglasses. Yeah, you yeah. talk you talk about that, don't you? Yeah, do that, and then um, we we because he's gone everywhere, like you know Mongolia, and obviously is uh, you know Sri Lanka is where his heritage is from, and all his family is. So it's really interesting. But I would say we are. You mentioned Japan. Did you hear the Japan thing? It's so funny because you must have been to Japan, Chris. I went once and I had a similar experience to you and Paul. It is absolutely bonkers. Nothing makes sense, which I absolutely love. And um, and we're going. We know we wanted to want to go, uh, go out and have a drink, and then we see this club and there's uh, this shop and there's music like, uh, 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 and there's a woman dancing in the window. And let's go to that club and get a margarita. It was a towel shop. Nothing makes sense over there. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And did you, 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 but you ended up buying two towels, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I bought a couple of towels and a flannel. And now, you and Ramesh also share a conversation about body, you know, mutual body dysmorphia. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, the thing is, I, before all this madness, I would often go away um, on holiday, you know, in January before it all starts. So I haven't had that. But with me... I always go up a cup size over Christmas. And then, you know, with all the all the, the roses and the chocolates. So I'm never, I'm never fit. You yeah. know what I mean? When yeah. on the holiday. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but it's, for me, it's my breasts at the top. So I will have to have the uh, towel as a horseshoe around me to cover them yeah. as I get in and out the pool, you know. The conversation <laughs> between the pair of you, it's, it's so warm, it's so funny, you know, you, you obviously completely trust each other. It's about an hour long, your podcast. How long do you record for? Um, it's uh, yeah, about, about an hour. And uh, the thing is with Rom, you know, he's just great company and it was so nice. And uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, do an hour. It is, it is what it is. And um, I just feel like, you know, with Chatty Man finishing, I... You know, I, I realised, especially in the pandemic, we've all sat down and had a good old thing. And I said, I realise how much I just like chatting to people. I yeah, mean, yeah. I've known Michael Parkinson, but I just love chatting and finding out about people. So this podcast really sort of helped me through through the whole pandemic. And actually, I thought, actually, I actually enjoy this. So, and I'm my own boss, you know. Yeah. Sometimes with chat shows, there's an agenda here. You've got to try and get some, you know, salacious gossip out. Or, But this is just... Me with a cup of tea chatting to some really funny friends and I think it shows. But Alan Carr, thank you very much indeed. Big Al on the show there. 
His amazing new podcast, Life's a Beach, is available now. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. He's getting into more scrapes with his mate Rob Beckett for Series 3 of Robin Ramesh Versus, which continues next Thursday on Sky One. And he's once again heading up the Ranker Nation on BBC Two. So, ladies and gents, please welcome the rib-tickling rascal that is Ramesh Ranga Nathan. Hi, Rom. Hello, Chris. You are right? I like rib-tickling rascal. Do you? I'm a fan of that. Yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Rom, you're so famous now. Do you think so? Yes. I don't feel... I don't really think... I don't think so. Well, but that's, I like... I mean, I'm, I'm appreciating yourself. It's good that you don't think you are, um, which is part of your charm, but you are because obviously you're on on this show to talk about uh, Rob and Ramesh versus, but um, the Scallywags here have put this at the top of my cheat sheet. Uh, Rob and Ramesh versus the Ranga Nation <laughs> because you're up against, you're not really up against yourself, but you've got it all going on. Haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that's sort of uh, an unfortunate coincidence, really. We did, we, we um, we did uh, we did Rob and Rom a while ago, and then um, and then the Rangash has just come up. So I've got this thing where, yeah, I'm on twice a week. So apologies to people. Yeah, but uh, also uh, not only on twice a week, twice a week on competing channels. This, uh, this <laughs> is what I, this is what I mean. You got it all going on. They all, the, you, you know, normally they demand an exclusive. They demand like golden handcuffs. He can only work for us. He's he's a channel star, but they they just want any piece of you they can get. As do I, to be honest. Well, thank you so much. Well, wow. I'll tell you what, mate, I'm absolutely buzzing off this interview so far. This is unbelievable. Well, it's only going to get better. Yeah. So we had uh, Dave Grohl in my bedroom last night um, on my laptop on Zoom, uh, live from his house. So I was in his house and he was in my house. It's very exciting. Yeah. Very exciting, Rom. Well, um, I, how were you? Because I had a thing on my podcast. I do this hip-hop podcast and we have... Obviously, Dave Grohl's a legend. We had DJ Premier, who's a hip-hop legend. Yeah. And I just, I'll be honest with you, I just fell to pieces. Yeah. I, 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 I couldn't listen to it back because I found myself so embarrassing. But we, did you manage to keep it together? I kept it together, I think. Um, people are right. saying that I did, but only, only, only till the absolute, or for, for the absolute um, sort of minimum, because the second he sort of got up from his chair in his, wherever he was doing it, in his house... Yeah. I, then I fell apart um, and I couldn't sleep. I haven't slept. I bet, I bet, yeah. Yeah, just going over the conversation in your head, right? Yeah, and also, also uh, to be honest, what I did was I watched you and Rob um, in your show afterwards um, <laughs> and it was exactly what I needed because you've got to turn left, you know what I mean? Sure, sure, sure. It is, it is a left... I would describe that show as a left turn, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. OK, uh, Rob and Ramesh versus Season 3 continues next Thursday. It kicked off last night. Uh, I had this little sort of sneaky... I could have watched it live because normally I'm asleep by 10 o'clock, but last night, I, well, I've not been asleep at all. Uh, but uh, So you take on the art world. Now, when people come on the show, I often say, I may have asked you this wrong before. You know, do you know who Banksy is? Because I'm obsessed with Banksy. Um, yeah. But I'm going to ask you now, do you know who Bexy is? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that was uh, uh-huh. that was that was Beckett's interpretation. There's actually a, a rumor that mm-hmm. Banks is operating in Crawley. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you I don't know if you've heard this rumor, but there's been some artwork <laughs> appearing up around Crawley. So people are getting very excited where I live. Is that true? Yeah, genuinely. Yeah, there's been bits and pieces appearing around Crawley. Yeah, uh, yeah, and on on the uh, on the Facebook forums, everybody's been uh, going wild about it. So yeah, it's very exciting times in Crawley, exciting, which is unusual. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think you pretty much put Crawley on the map. Who might have put Crawley on on the map before you? Other sons and daughters of Crawley that we may have heard of? Uh, Chico. Yeah, Chico. Time. Uh, Dan Walker. Yeah. Um, Gareth Southgate. Oh, it's good. It's pretty good, isn't it? 
Yeah, and the cure, the cure for oh, the like, just got very cool. Yeah, just got very. Yeah. So for people who don't know what Rob and Ramesh is, um, a if you got Sky, then you might as well sell it because if you're not watching the show and you have Sky, you're mad. Uh, so there's that. Um, but uh, you take you 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 take on different worlds. So in the, you've had NFL previous. Tell us about that. Well, yeah, because uh, the Philadelphia Eagles had won the Super Bowl, and we, we were lucky enough to go and spend some time training with them, and we kind of immersed ourselves in the world of NFL. So we we went to watch a an Eagles game and we did all of the tailgating you know in the in the car park beforehand all the fans are out yeah. there like having a making a massive thing of it so yeah we did we did go and do a bit of NFL and then at Wembley Rob and I did a challenge where we had to receive a receive the longest pass which yeah. I, I, the, the whole thing is I mean it, it's once you the thing I found about it is I just thought it was impenetrable when I first you know first looking at the sport but actually um, once you get into it, it's, it is great. Do you know what I mean? It's just that thing of going, uh, of getting in, getting your head around how it works. But yeah. uh, once you do it, it is a great sport. Right. So many follow-up questions at that. But first of all, so we, not a problem for the viewer, right? Mm. Not a problem for Sky, I wouldn't imagine, because I think the viewing figures may be as, well, definitely will be as good as seasons one and two. But, you know, what if they're better and the programme's cheaper to make? You're never going to play with the NFL again. You're never going baseballing. You're never, you're never even going to the Heathrow Airport anymore. Romesh. Mate, do you know what? You have identified a problem that we have discussed because you know, whenever you're talking to the, to the Sky or the production team about, you know, we've got to go big. This has got to be adventurous. And then if you manage to pull that off without leaving the UK, then, it's, uh, then it becomes a huge problem. So I, I don't know what we're going to do. It's sort of this weird thing where I do want the series to be successful but not too successful. Do you know what I mean? I, I still want to go away. So, uh, I'm going yeah, to... I'm... Sword. Well, so is it all domestic this season because of COVID? Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we, we, it, was a, it was a difficult one because we wanted to do the series, obviously, and, and, you, and obviously you, you've got to do it safely. But it's that thing of, like, genuinely, we sat down and said, can we make this show good under, you know, with the restriction we're facing? Because what we didn't want to do is, because we'd have so much fun with the first two series, you don't want to undermine that by doing a version where... Because people will forgive so much, won't they? But at the end of the day, you want the show to be good. So we managed to figure out a way that we felt we were able to sort of deliver a show to the same standard. And the production team have been amazing. So um, Rob and I are really buzzing about it. It's great. Yeah, but, you know, Ranganation from your garage as well. The walls are closing in, Rob. <laughs> well, you know, the thing <laughs> is, is that for, for the, it's so weird because now... Because basically, when Series 2 we did in the garage... Yeah. And then series three, we're in a stu- we're back in a studio, mm. but only me. Yeah. So the Ranga Nation and the guests are still at home. So it's basically a studio that's attempting to simulate my garage. That's kind of that's kind of where we're at now. But um, it is weird going into the studio. I got so excited. My mum got so excited. She's like, oh, back in the studio. And I was like, no, you're not actually, mum. You're 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 still at home. So it's a bit of a downer for us. Uh, Robert, thank, thank you for being on the show. Please come and talk to us again. I will do. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I appreciate you're it. You're amazing as always. That is the brilliant Romesh Ranganathan. Rob and Romesh versus season three continues next Thursday on Sky One. But you can catch up on seasons one, two, and episode one from season three uh, right now, um, as and when you like. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on. Virgin Radio. Put simply, rock music at the hands of our next guest doesn't get any better. The Foo Fighters' 10th studio album, Medicine at Midnight, is unleashed today. So listen up as we take a groll down memory lane with the godfather of grunge himself. It's the one and only Dave Grohl! Hi, Dave. How are you? 
I'm well. How are you? <laughs> I'm pretty good. So here we go. World album release day. Does it always feel the same? Well, this time's a little different, I have to be honest. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's always a relief. Uh, but this time, maybe more so since we finished this album a year ago. So we've kind of been waiting for this day for a long, long, long time. So it feels maybe a little bit even sweeter than it normally yeah. would because of what we've been doing the last year. You know, And it was touching girl last year because it was due for February. So it could have happened, couldn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, we were really close. I think the idea was originally the album was going to come out on July 4th, right. 2020, um, because that was the 25th anniversary to the day of the very first album. So we, you know, we had this big plan, 25th anniversary, uh, 25th anniversary tour and stuff like that. Um, but then obviously we decided to kind of wait. So um, if the Foo Fighters, Foo Fighters, um, 1995, could have emailed some advice to Medicine at Midnight, what might it have emailed? Uh, it would probably be um, relax a little, take a deep <laughs> breath. Stop running. Just kind of just walk from point A to point B. I, it's, I mean, that's the past 25 years for me has been a steady jog, you know, just nonstop. And, um, you know, but that's the way that's the way I've always been. It's, it's the way I always do it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think like just take a little time to like sit down take a deep breath and, and appreciate what's going on. Isn't it funny that the the younger Foo Fighters would be giving the older Foo Fighters more sage advice than the other way around? I mean, you know, I wish I knew what I know now <laughs> when I was younger. You know what I mean? Like, everybody feels that way somehow, for sure. And of course, Foo Fighters, Foo Fighters, when you were just the Foo Fighter, of course, singularly, um, uh, famously, 17 songs, five days. Compare that with the gestation and incubation period of um, Medicine at Midnight? Well, you know, it, it, when I went in to record what became the first Foo Fighters record, I really didn't imagine that it was going to be a band, that it was going to be an album, that it was going to be a quarter of a century. Like, I did none of that stuff. I, I basically just went to a studio down the street from my house, which I could, which I could drive a go-kart too. I had go-karts. I didn't even need to use a car. And so I would like drive down on this little lawnmower engine go-kart and uh, make a pot of coffee and just start recording these things. But I'd, I'd always recorded uh, things by myself. I just never really let anyone hear it. So now, you know, I, I enjoy the process a little more now because I get to share it with the people in my band. I, I see it. Sometimes it's a bit more adventurous or a bit more of a, like an exploration. Why don't I try this? I've given myself more time in the studio to actually uh, experiment and, and discover things that I never would have in the six days I made that first record. I mean, that first yeah. record was like three or four songs a day and just moving yeah. as fast as we could. So it's, it's different now, but it's still as rewarding. It really is. And you seem to have shaken off the LA heebie-jeebies because they were there for a while. Every time you tried to do something in Los Angeles, you had to run back home to Ohio in the basement, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've always been the type of person that in making records, the, the most important, and being in a band, the most important thing to me is the experience. And so you just kind of have to like search for, um, you have to find these environments, right? Because ultimately, like the atmosphere of where you are, where you're recording, what you're doing, it influences the outcome. 
And so that that's that's the thing I've always been into. Like, let's make a record in a garage. Let's make a record in a haunted house. Let's make a record in eight studios around the country. Like, and and I I I think that it really does influence what people finally hear. And so this this record was made in a haunted house. You did have to sign an NDA. This is all true. And the guy was trying to sell it. Did he sell it? Did you buy it? No clue. I'm never going back. I don't care. It's out of my life. I, I don't want to really relive that. I'm 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 better now. Okay, well, you, you seem well. You seem fine. Um, have we got time for some questions from the listeners? Are you okay for this? Sure, yeah. Okay, here we go. Uh, it's my 14th birthday on Friday. My name's Rory. Seven years ago, I asked Dave what his favorite Dr. Seuss book was. Uh, he recommended to me If I Ran the Rainforest. Does he have a book recommendation for me now, seven years later? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, there's a good one. Um, well, it's uh, how old is this person now? <laughs> He's now 14. He was seven. And you did talk to him very nicely seven years ago. Right. Uh, let's see. Uh, if he's 14 now, I would have to go with um, Hammer of the Gods. Yeah, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Yes. Fishing for sharks in the zoo next door from the third floor hotel room. Edgewater um, Inn. I've been there. We'll, li- we'll leave it at that. Right. A um, couple more. Uh, what was the first song you wrote on the first V Fighters album and what drove you to write a whole album's worth of music, you nut job? Tom and Marlo. First song I wrote on the first Foo Fighters record was probably the song Exhausted. All right. Uh, three more. You're easily one of the most charismatic and natural frontmen of the last 25 years, Dave Grohl. Did you know you had it in you when you were drumming on Nevermind, says Jim in Nottinghamshire? No. <laughs> I, did, I just did it. I really did it. I know you it did. It took me a long time to become <laughs> such an enchanting front man. Yeah, it took a while. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, well done. Congratulations, you've arrived. My son, Harry, who's nine, he's the biggest Foo Fighters fan ever, would like to ask Dave, hey, Dave, what is the one best piece of advice you would give to a nine-year-old guitar player? Also, what do those kids write on their signs that make you pull them out of the crowd at your concerts? I want to know because I want to write that on the sign and be pulled out of one of your concerts. Okay. Harry, uh, whenever we pulled anyone out of the concert, like out of the audience to the stage, First of all, it's never pre-planned, never has been. When I look down and I see someone begging to come up on stage and play, I look at them and I decide like, okay, this could go one of two ways. This can either be the most incredible experience of all of our lives or a total train wreck. And I'm okay with either. I like if if it, if they come up and they blow everyone's mind and they're the next Jimi Hendrix, yes, we did it. If they come up and it's such a train wreck uh, that everyone wants their money back, yes, we did it. So we'll see. Yeah. Andrew Sharp in Bolton says, have you made it? Do you feel like you've made it? Well, I made it to the end of yesterday. Let's see if I can make it to the end of today. <laughs> the best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So we've heard from three mind-blowingly good guests already, but there's still so much more to come. TV presenter Angela Scanlon harnesses virtual reality and gets green-fingered in her new BBC Two series, Your Garden Made Perfect. The cinematic firecracker Juno Temple takes us to the deep south of the US of A uh, with stories from her new movie, Palmer, in which she co-stars alongside 
Justin Timberlake. Secretary of Health and Social Care Matt Hancock updates on the latest COVID vaccine situation and swimmer, journalist and author Bonnie Suey takes us on a deep dive into her brilliant new book, Why We Swim. All of that and more still to come. So much to get through. So, Dave... Who's next? Whether you're a leader or a follower, our next guest, a retired Navy SEAL officer, is going to get the best out of you, so strap in. His new book, The Attributes, 25 Hidden Drivers to Optimal Performance, is out now. So here to up our game and Navy SEAL the deal is the heart of the nails, Rich Divini. Good morning, Rich. Hey, good morning, Chris. Nice to be here. Thank you. Oh, my goodness me. Thanks so much for being on the show. So excited to talk to you. I love your book. I listened to Rich's podcast, episode 571 of the Rich World Podcast with Rich. Two and a half hours of absolute gold. And I understand you're talking to us from Virginia Beach. I've just Googled it. My goodness me, you lucky ducky. It's, it's not the worst place to live in the world, is it? No, it's nice. I, I, I like I like being on the beach, at least somewhere. So it's a, it's a nice place on the beach, which is good. It's got a look of Miami about it, hasn't it? Virginia Beach. It does, yeah. It's uh, it's mid it's mid Atlantic, you know. When you look at the states, so it's uh, it's a little bit of a little bit of Florida, a little bit of New England, kind of mixed, which is nice. So, uh, Rich, well done for living there. Can you actually see the sea from where you're from? Not this time of night, obviously, but usually. No, yeah, I'd say about I'm about uh, about five minutes from the <laughs> from the beach. I'm not high enough. If I were if I were high enough, I could see it, but, uh, but not from my house. Um, so, first of all, give us um, give us a bluffer's guide to your career. Give us give us what you've done in like thirty seconds tops, please. Uh, with a book or overall? Overall. Oh, overall. Well, so I uh, let's see. I, I joined the Navy back in mid '90s. Uh, well, I grew up in New England. Joined the Navy in about big, in mid '90s. Went to the SEAL teams, and uh, spent a career with the Navy SEALs. Obviously, that was throughout the entire war. So there was a lot of um, a lot of deployments uh, involved to, to Iraq, Afghanistan, and other places. But one of the most interesting thing I did while I was a SEAL is I ran training for a for one of our specialized commands. And in doing so, I was able to kind of uh, get very interested in human performance and why, why and how people do what they do, especially during times of challenge, stress, and uncertainty. So that kind of kept in the back of my mind um, until I retired in, in January 2017, and I began speaking and teaching uh, around leadership and, and high-performing teams. And then really, that was when I kind of, kind of began to marinate on this idea again, and and decided to write a book about uh, these attributes, these innate qualities that allow us to drive forward, push forward, and do what we do. And so I'm just really fascinated with the human engine and you know those, those things that allow people, some people to really succeed and other people to not succeed and how best to break it down and articulate it based on my experience. And the interesting thing about attributes is that they first came onto your radar because, you know, when you're in charge of this training, you st you began to analyze the training and there was a particular bump in the road, wasn't there? Because because you, you were seeing people, um, you were seeing Navy SEALs already qualified as, as SEALs. Uh, you were seeing mm -hmm. them hit, hit a wall that their skill set couldn't overcome. And you thought, hang on a minute, what is going here? This is a lose-lose situation. We need to change this. That's correct. Yeah, it was it was actually it was a couple of things. So first of all, the these guys that were coming through were obviously highly skilled. They were experienced SEALs and by all accounts should have been making it through our program uh, with ease um, and they weren't. And so that was so the, the first question was why, why that was happening, because to because to figure it out would have helped us and did help us um, better understand the process and, and if we needed to change it. But the other the other thing that we were finding was it was very difficult for us to explain both to ourselves and the actual candidates 
why they weren't making it through. And that that was important as well because you're talking about uh, guys who are very who are already very successful, and and to just tell them out of the blue that they didn't they didn't have what it takes or they didn't cut it or couldn't cut it even worse. Um, it wasn't very empowering for them, for us. And so, uh, so what happened was I and the team I was with endeavored to, to really try to figure out the differences in what we were looking for and what we were seeing. This is how we kind of, and I kind of broke down and discovered the differences between skills and attributes. All right. Well, let's ask, ask that question right back to you. So, so let's go for um, skills are useful up to a point. Skills can be taught. Um, learnability might be an attribute, which is interesting uh, because you could might yeah. be able to learn skills. That's an attribute that helps you to learn skills. But skills also help you up to a certain and given point, but not necessarily beyond the point. So, so give us what you have discovered to be the definition or the difference of the definitions between skills and attributes. Absolutely, yeah. So, so skills are you're you're exactly right. Skills are learned. They're they are not inherent to our nature. In other words, we are not born with the ability to ride a bike or throw a ball, or in the military case, shoot a gun. Um, we can be taught those things, and we can we can uh, practice them and learn them over time. Um, we can even sit down in a classroom and be taught them by someone else. Um, they also direct our behavior in known specific situations. So, so here's how and when to drive a car, here's how and when to ride a bike or, or shoot a gun. Um, and as such, because they're so specific and because they're uh, teachable, they're, all, they're, they're highly visible. They're highly visible and they're highly measurable. And this is why most selection processes, whether it's military or, or athletic or business, um, focus a lot of their selection on visible skills because they're very easy to see and measure, see, measure and assess. You can see how well people do that. The problem with skills is skills don't necessarily tell us how we're going to show up in uncertainty, challenge, and stress. When everything goes wrong or south um, and the environment is uncertain and we have to figure things out, in that case, we begin to lean on our innate attributes. Attributes are different. They're innate, right? They were born with levels of adaptability, of resiliency, of situation awareness, etc. Um, they don't uh, they don't direct our behavior as much as they inform our behavior. So. Right, and in the, our final minute, and this is it, we have got to wrap up now. Um, just get just one more takeaway for people who are struggling. I mean, over here, the light is getting ever brighter at the end of the tunnel because we vaccinated 600,000 people in one day yesterday, which is great. And we're on target for um, 15 million people by the second week in uh, February, which is a quarter of our population. But for people listening to this who, who are struggling, just, just a quick uh, snack size takeaway please rich yes as a in the military especially as seal we talk about controlling your three-foot world right sometimes all we can control is something right in front of us so if you're if you find yourself in trouble at a loss in challenge and stress just ask yourself this question what can i control right now and then and then move to that and then ask it again and that's how we take little steps that's how we take uh, that's how we eat the elephant one bite at a time. There's, way, there's many ways to say this, right? Um, but just step by step, you know, control your three-foot world. Uh, don't get down. Put your head down. And it's okay if it's dark, dirty, or gritty as long as you're, as long as you're moving. What a book. What a guy. The Attributes, 25 Hidden Drivers of Optimal Performance, out now by Richard Davini. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. She's the brightest light in British telly, and now she's focusing on your backyards. Her brilliant new virtual reality harnessing show, Your Garden Made Perfect, starts tomorrow on BBC Two at 8pm. And here to tell us more is an Angela that would literally scan your lawn. That's right, it's Angela Scanlawn! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. 
sorry, oh Angela, about that. I apologise. <laughs> well, Rachel so loves you. Um, I love you anyway, but you know that. But Rachel, is she might be your number one fangirl. What's going on between you and Angela, Rachel? Hello, Angela. Hi, lovely. How are you? <laughs> I'm very good, thank you. Oh. I love Angela because I love her shows and I love watching her because she just makes me laugh. Well, she's very good on the telly. She's and excellent. every show that has her on is very lucky to get her. How how did oh. how does a show because you don't have to pitch shows, people are pitching shows to you because you are a crock of TV gold. You know, how <laughs> how do they sway you one way or another, Angela? Oh well I've been quite free this year, Chris. Well this one came up weirdly. You're home ain't perfect kind of came out of nowhere off the back of Robot Wars being cancelled and it was this weird thing in that I was very invested in Robot Wars it was like a baby then I had an actual baby it got axed and then your homemade perfect came up and I was honestly a little reluctant at first I was like oh I don't know I'm not Sarah Beanie like property all that is not my shtick and then I I saw the taster tape and I realised that it was actually me snooping around people's houses and that it was it was a lot looser than a straight kind of um, design show. And so people have loved it, absolutely loved it. And I have, a little surprising to myself, but really love being part of it. It just feels like a very warm kind of... Um, yeah, it's it's a lovely, lovely show to be part of. And then your garden made perfect was kind of floating around in the ether and the timing wasn't quite right. And then COVID hit and socially distanced telly became a topic of conversation and, you know, outdoors, gardens, uh, it made sense. And so, yeah, it just kind of, I think, we've suddenly seen the value of those little patches outside our back door and and how much they can benefit our health and our well-being and our state of mind and yeah what what they can add to our lives i suppose without getting too heady about it and boom we filmed it no i think well you know you're not going too heady about it you're absolutely true because one square foot of garden is better than no square foot of garden is it and a few more than that is even better one of the revelations Mm -hmm. on last night's uh, sorry tomorrow night's show that uh, we got to watch last night uh, because we have that little secret link um is is wildflower turf because tash and i we, we we're such a fan of wildflowers but we've never been successfully able to to get them going and we know that you yes. need rocks and you need you need basically you need some kind of ground fill because wildflowers mm-hmm. grow in places they're not supposed to because they're these sort of beautiful weeds but y- yeah. y- y- last night it's not like wildflower turf okay let's have some of that then absolute revelation and the idea that you would have what so instead of just laying a bog standard lawn mm. fine better than astroturf because it's actually alive but you can also lay yeah wildflower tur- wildflower lawn and you just mow it in the same way that you would mow a lawn or you let it go absolutely wild which would be my preference um but yeah there's loads and there's multi-species grasses which are in a, one of the other episodes and they're glorious if you like the wildflower ones you and Tasha are going to love this so it's like mossy kind of oh. type of turf that you or grass that you'd get in a woodland so it feels like that really textured little ferns coming out of it it's glorious it's a little bit pricier than a bog standard grass but it's a lot lower maintenance because even if it gets a bit feral and wild it looks 
you know, purposefully like that. Yeah, I mean, last night we, I was looking at your timber raised beds and uh, we're just having mm. a raised bed built today and yesterday by Great. the guys from our local landscaping company. But they're, they're building it in brick. And I'm thinking, oh, we should have oh. gone, gone for timber, I think. Oh, and the sleepers, you see, because they're know. really cheap and they're kind of off the shelf and they're, you know, quite... But listen, that's fine. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I think what I realised was the planters... Like, because, okay, where where we live, we're in North London, and the soil in our back garden is awful. It's really acidic. It's very clay. It's very heavy kind of soil. I'm not, you know, totally okay with all the terminology. But you whack a planter in there, you put in beautiful, you know, nutrient-dense soil that you get at your garden centre or wherever, yeah. and everything will grow in it, or things will certainly grow much better. Whereas if you're planting in existing soil then you've got to be really aware of what kind of um, yeah what what the alkalinity is or the acidity you got you the whole right plant right place I mean I'm quite a nerd about this now Chris as you can tell but uh, with a planter you can just go for gold so you've got your homemade perfect you've got your garden mm. made perfect it won't come as any surprise to you that during this conversation we have just bought the domain for your shed made perfect we own that now so you're going to have to buy that for us uh, your wedding made perfect um, your husband made perfect we bought that for 99p a year because there's a there's a theme going on here and the walls are closing in on all of us and Scanlon's your hutch made perfect rabbits. Listen up. Your 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 bowls made perfect. Your goldfish. life made perfect. Your under the stairs cupboard made perfect. <laughs> dot com dot org with Angela Scanlon. I'll do, I'll do them all, Chris. What about what can you? I, say? I mean, I don't know that I've much to offer for the under the stairs one, but I'll give it a laugh. Your hair colour made perfect, Evans. Done. <laughs> 7.34. All right, Scan. Great to have you on the show again, as always. You're awesome. Thank you so much. Ta-da! Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. If there's been an interesting role on screen in the last 20 years, the chances are our next guest was the actress behind it. She stars alongside Justin Timberlake in the new Apple TV Plus movie Palmer, which is out now. So here to tell us all about the drama behind the Palmer is the infinitely watchable Juno Temple. All right, Juno. Whoa, hi. <laughs> How you doing? What an entry. What the I thought you might wow. like that. Yeah, I'm good. I feel, I feel real... Yeah, encouraged now. All right, what about this? What about this? Hang on, Juno. Juno Temple. Juno Temple. Juno Temple. Juno Temple. Juno Temple. What about that? Well, you're making me blush. Good, <laughs> but I'm good. sitting in my living room on my own. But if you could see me right now, I'm uh, yeah, fiery cheeks. Sort of my How job. are you doing, Paul? Very well, very well. Listen, congratulations on this film, Palmer, Apple yes. TV+. Plus. It's the biggest thing on Apple TV+, Plus so far, I'm hearing. And bearing in mind that platform, you're sharing uh, the likes with the likes of um, The Morning Show, etc., etc., etc. So congratulations, well done. Uh, I watched it last night. It's a beautiful film. I don't know... I don't know how to talk around it. I don't know what to do about talking around it. So over to you, Juno. Uh, you star in it with the one and only Justin Timberlake, who is very good, isn't he? Yeah, he's so good. And, like, such a beautiful performance from him. And I think, like, again, just watching him and Ryder, who plays Sam in it, have this incredible chemistry on camera and really just watch these two people playing these characters that are really encouraging each other to be the kind of best versions of themselves is a pretty exquisite thing isn't it eddie is an ex-lag so he's just been sprung from prison he's done his time and um then he's struggling mm. to find a job and then he sort of 
gets gets sort of shackled with, I suppose, in the beginning with little Sam, uh, who is amazing. Mm. And so Sam is played by Ryder yeah. Allen. Tell everybody about, first of all, the character and then this brilliant little actor you've got to work with. Yeah, about my character. I play um, Shelley in the film, who is actually uh, Sam's mother. And um, it's the first time I played a mum on camera. And I'm not going to lie, I don't think I could ever for a more exquisite uh, on-camera son. I mean, Ryder was just an absolute joy from the minute I met him. And, and I think his character and his performance in this, in this film is so inspiring. And he plays it with such conviction of... Like, we could all learn from Sam in that film of, of being um, comfortable in our skin and, and embracing who we are and not being um, ashamed of it in any way, which I think more people than we know feel in their own skin you know and um uh i just think that that Ryder is uh, um gonna do such incredible things i was so proud to to work with him on this job which was a big breakout role for him and i think you know him and justin were just beautiful together and i for me playing shelly was like I read the script and I was so moved by the the relationship going on between these two characters and getting to play the mother of a little boy that I don't know shows such um, such beautiful qualities of a human and playing a mother that isn't paying attention to them because she's in her own addiction was uh, something that I thought would be a really difficult but kind of good challenge, you know. And and that was something that ultimately I uh, yeah really really moved me to do it and actually the first scene we shot for me was the scene at the end of the movie where I uh, come and see my little boy and tell him that I think it's probably better if he stays with karma and that was quite a, uh, a big um, emotional scene to start off with and Ryder was just amazing with me and I think it broke down any kind of I felt like I got to know him and he got to know me in the first you know half day of a shoot that was really like yeah really really quite magic well little sam the character so so our eli he's eight and he was wearing dresses um by the age of two and he wears makeup on a regular basis mm. and so we were all sort of uh, we were shouting from the rooftops last night tash and i were, were, were saying, in fact one of the first times um eli was in the papers with us we went to see a show a david williams show and yeah. um, and Eli mm -hmm. went in a dress, and uh, the paparazzi caught him. And because <laughs> he was in all the papers in his dress, he looked amazing, looked magnificent. So we were we were so on board oh, I um, bet he did. with little Sam and his story. Um, so congratulations! How many times have you seen it? I actually I saw a rough cut of it in the summer, and then I watched um I watched the full finished version on Apple TV last weekend. Yeah, woohoo! All right, thank you, Juno. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Ta-da! Juno Temple, one of the stars of Palmer on Apple TV+, Plus, available now, and it's starring Justin Timberlake, and he's very, very good, but he's a very good actor anyway. The Social Network, he was fantastic in that, wasn't he, as the head of Napster. What was his name in that? Ah... Uh... Could never remember. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. From Icelandic fishermen to American presidents, our next guest knows just how important swimming is for everyone. Her book, Why We Swim, is out now. And here to explain why life is better when you're wetter is the closest thing to a mermaid you're ever likely to find. It's journalist and author Bonnie Soy.
Good morning, buddy. <laughs> that is just the best introduction I have ever heard. Thank you so much. Hey, Bonnie, you're very welcome and you're very welcome to the show. What a beautiful book, Why We Swim, Bonnie oh, Suey. It's fantastic. So here we go. This book is an investigation of what seduces us to water despite its dangers and why we come back to it again and again. In your own words, there's the question. What are the headlines in the answer? Well, the headlines are, of course, the banner headline is survival. And so uh, that's sort of where the book starts. And, you know, once you, we, we humans have to learn how to survive the water and, and, and once we do, it can be so much more, right? So um, the book is kind of divided into these five sections, these five different thematic ways of answering that question and survival and then it's well-being and community and competition and flow. And so I, in it, the book is really a way to... Um, you know, travel the world and and ask people, extraordinary swimmers, ordinary ones, um, you know, the answer to that question. And it's funny because you talk about flow in the book. There you go, one of the um, five sections of the book. And you write, right. you the book, it's like you've written it like as if you're swimming i feel it has has had the same calming effect on me as swimming does and i don't know if that's intentional or it's just (laughs) it's just because it's coming from the right place so so the world is blessed or the universe has blessed you with that's the vibe i get from your book how cool is that that is so lovely of you to say chris i really did want of course a book about swimming has to have that feeling of swimming right so so not just the um, you know, the sensory elements of what it is like to be in the water because it is such a singular experience when you plunge in that it, you know, you are taken out of your element, your normal element, and into something kind of strange, but also, you know, in some on some very um, primal level, deeply familiar, right? And I think we all feel that. And so I think that you can really use words to do that. And I'm and I'm really, really so touched that you felt that. So thank you for that. No, you're welcome. You're welcome. I I can't wait to take this book away somewhere where I'm very peaceful <laughs> and read it again. At, you know, at literally at my leisure as opposed to for work. So what have dinosaur and mummy poop got to do with the history of swimming, please? <laughs> Bunny? Well, well, let me tell you about dinosaurs and mummies and all that. Um, so one, one of the things that I really wanted to investigate, of course, uh, was the, I mean, going way back as far as we can to, to um, you know, find evidence of our human swimming past. And so I um, talked to a paleontologist named Paul Sereno, who's a pretty famous guy. He's discovered all kinds of um, dinosaurs and 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 um, you know remains of ancient um, peoples uh, in the desert in the Sahara, and so he, um, back in 2000, I think it was, um, stumbled upon his expedition stumbled upon this, um, what ended up being one of the largest Stone Age cemeteries to date. And um, even though he's uh, originally a paleontologist, you know he studies dinosaurs. He um, really has become to become very interested in investigating, you know, our human um, past too, our human evolutionary past as it's sort of embedded in the earth and what it reflects about um, our our watery origins. And so he discovered this, um, you know, this like basically the, a paleo lake system in the Sahara. Um, and it was in what's today um, Niger near uh, the border with Libya. And it was, um, you know, it was piles of um, uh, clamshells and human remains. Um, and, and one of the, and, and of course, in the middle of the desert, the desert, he found turtles and 
bitten Nile perch, like fish, like bones, like all of these things that indicated, of course, that um, once the Sahara was green and there were lakes and, and there were people living on the edges of those lakes and that they um, quite likely knew how to swim and sort of what was it like to fish and, and live on um, this watery lifestyle. Now, we are literally dipping our toe into the water of the subjects you cover here in this book. I mean, it's not a mammoth book. It's just so concisely and beautifully and and it, it's so sort of uh, fat-free as a book, uh, so well put <laughs> together. Let's let's just, um, let's go, where should we go next? Let's go to uh, more hi- the history of swimming. So so in more, our more recent history, um, y- there's evidence of early life jackets from the 1750s there's there's uh, evidence tell us about the court life jackets of the 1750s oh my gosh i loved um kind of digging up all these different ways that we've invented to um keep ourselves alive in the water and you know and that includes like life jackets and um oh god one 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 of them was um like tortoise um I guess it was like the the clear outer level outer um, shell tortoise shell goggles, right? That that um, people used to, to protect their eyes diving underwater. And um, you know, we're just so imaginative and we're so inventive. And it was like kind of fun to think about the ways our imaginations interacted with our like kind of inventive survival instincts. <laughs> you know, what can we do so that we could buoy ourselves in water and not sink and not die? It's just and what it's are you just finding? <laughs> Fathers, Benjamin Franklin over here as a law student. Well, he's quite old when he came over here in his 40s in the mid-1700s again. Um, he, he went right. cold water swimming. He was way ahead of Wim Hof, but he had a touch of the Wim Hof about him, didn't he? He did. He loved to swim in the Thames and he um, loved skinny dipping as well. And he said that it was, um, you know, just this life-giving thing. And he, of course, as a Renaissance man, had to invent um, hand paddles too. <laughs> to swim with listen it's great to talk to you i know you've waited up a long long time to talk to us i hope you think it was worth it we're huge fans of the book thanks for being on the program it sure was thank you so much for having me it's such a pleasure you're very welcome why we swim is the book and it's it's as good as it sounds and it's written um exactly how bonnie talks and you because she bonnie talks like we're swimming doesn't she 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 talks like water when i saw it in the office last week i thought why we swim that's that's so far down my street it's outside my front door (laughs) and i didn't want it to disappoint me because it was such a good title and i thought please don't disappoint and it exceeded expectations it really is an amazing book thank you very much indeed bonnie live from san francisco the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky on virgin radio up next we're speaking to secretary of state for health and social care matt hancock Good morning, Matt. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well. We must begin, of course, um, with a word to the wonder and the wisdom of Captain Sir Tom Moore. Yes. What a what a what an inspiration. And that's what everybody's using, isn't it? I mean, so wonderful and can teach can teach us all a bit about how to live a good life. It's it's very sad that he's he's gone. The thing I really loved was that you know in that in that first lockdown when the NHS was clearly under pressure. Uh, he he just got up and made it happen, right? <laughs> he decided he was going to raise a thousand pounds, and he 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 made it happen. Yeah, thirty nine million pounds in the end, and it's yeah. and counting. By the way, you can still donate um, to yeah. various charities that, that, that he's he yeah. has now personified and will be his legacy, along with, you know, our our everlasting memories of Captain Sir Tom. You know, and they do say, don't they, Matt, that you know, um, as far as um, 
pharmacology is concerned that one of the most proven medicines is is placebic it is the placebo it, it is the panacea and in many ways you know he was that in spades for for not just us here in the uk but you know a, a positive outlook on on a situation positive you know a positive, oh. positive mental attitude yeah it's why I listen to the Chris Evans breakfast show in the morning. <laughs> You're going to say something else then, beginning with show. <laughs> uh, right, so more good news, thank heaven. Um, what do you have to tell us this morning with regards to uh, some uh, amazing people based here in the UK? Yeah, well, we've seen overnight the results from the Oxford vaccine showing that it not only leads to no hospitalizations amongst those who've had the jab in the group of 12,000 people that they've studied so far, uh, but also that it reduces transmission by about two-thirds. So it stops the virus from spreading to a large degree, as well as protecting the individual. And you've asked me this question many times. You know, how much does the, the vaccine not just protect you, but actually stop the spread of the disease? And, uh, and now we've got a very strong result on that, that it, it reduces that by about two-thirds, which is really really good news for getting us out of this and a case study of twelve thousand is no small affair is it i mean that's huge and for, for not a single person within that those that the group of twelve thousand people to to have to undergo a hospital admission is quite substantial it's quite conclusive isn't it to say the least yeah so that's that is an that is a really uh, good part of the result and obviously twelve thousand is a you know, that's a big number uh, and we're now following all those who've had the jabs uh, to make sure that we understand how many people who've had the jab uh, end up with a positive test and after what time because you know that you can't you know you don't get that protection immediately it does take a few weeks to come in um, and the other the other really good result in this new uh, publication overnight is that the 12-week gap from your first dose to your second dose actually means that you get a stronger long-term protection than if you had the second jab sooner. So the decision that we took to extend that, which was, you know, controversial to some people who said, well, I'd rather have my second jab sooner, actually is, uh, it, it gives you this stronger long-term protection. So it, uh, that, that's very good news as well. And that amazing day last weekend when over six, well, almost 600,000 people. Yeah, 598,000. Yeah, yeah, so close. I felt like doing 2,000 myself I know. to get over the landmark. And the target was half a million. But, you know, on a day where you get almost 600,000 vaccinations as opposed to a day when you get, say, 395,000. By the way, yeah. no, no, neither of those are bad days. What, yeah. what is the difference between that 200,000 happening and no, not it's happening? It's supply. Right. It's supply. So the supply comes to us in batches. Yeah. Uh, and then we get it out as fast as we can. So when a, when a, a big batch has just come in, uh, then the next couple of days you have these really big numbers and then um, the rest of the, you know, and then it drops down to the sort of 300,000-ish mark um, that we have it on other days. And so it, it's just that the supply is, is lumpy. It's the, you know, the nature of it. It's a new manufacturing process. You know, we didn't have an onshore manufacturing process for vaccines, really. We built that over the summer. And, um, you know, the, these, the, these things are not easy things to produce. And so, uh, so that's the reason. What the great news is that the NHS across the UK has demonstrated that if we get a lot that needs doing, uh, then they can get it out. You know, that, the, the, they're, they're working all hours to make it happen. It's a re it, that, that bit is not the rate limiting factor. And I've got GPs phoning saying, come on, I want some more because yeah. I've got more people to jab. That's, you know. 
I, that's great that they're, they're working so hard to make this happen. So, Tash, my wife and I, we've been invited to a vaccination station in High Wycombe next week, and we can't go to wait. We're going to volunteer for a shift, and we literally cannot wait. Now, you've been to many of these uh, old places similar, and are you yeah. are you witnessing the same stories that we're hearing? You know, people who've been having to shield for twelve months, literally yeah. being given a, given a new lease of life. You know, walking in and skipping out just because they are yeah. so grateful and so happy. Yeah, it, yeah, it's a really emotional thing. It's a really emotional thing because it, 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 you know, it's life-changing. And we now know it not only protects you, but protects the people around you. Once you've given it that time to, uh, to work, the, the three weeks or so. Uh, and, and so I've been at these, at these centres and watched people come, uh, come out. And just the, the relief yeah. on, their, on their faces, it's just wonderful. And people bursting into tears, it, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. And you know, each time a member of my, I'm sure it's the same, uh, for you, each time a member of my family gets a jab, you know, it goes on the family WhatsApp group, a picture of it being done. And in fact, I was listening to you the other day, you and Vassos competing about how many people you know who've had the jab. I mean, but that's what, you know, it's so important. What Last weekend, we did one in 60 of the entire adult population uh-huh. in one weekend. Well you know, and um, and almost one in five of the whole population has been has been done already. It's it, it's been, a, you know, the team have just done an amazing job. And but we've got to stick at it. All right, well, you survived us. I hear you survived GMB this morning as well. And uh, what are you doing for the rest of the day? Well, I'm going to see the uh, Prime Minister now uh, to talk about the, the latest. And, um, uh, and then, and then uh, I'm working on, the, working on the rollout. Keep the rollout going smooth. All right, pal. All right, thanks for being here, Matt. Uh, let us know when you need us next, and we shall be available. Great stuff. Ta-da. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, very, very welcome. It's so funny. We do get the request. Is it okay if Matt Hancock has 10 minutes? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, as long as he's going to say something that's helpful, which he always does. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky.